Hey, horror fans, this is Vincent DeSanti, the director and writer of Never Hike Alone, and you are listening to the Don't Go Out There podcast. In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Review Podcast, powered by the Big Three Roll-Up. Uh, just want to thank all our fans and listeners. I really appreciate all the support. We're super excited. This interview has been a long time coming, and we've been wanting to have this man on for a while. We are thrilled to finally have the founder of Womp Stomp Films and executive producer, director of the super popular Friday the 13th fan films, Never Hike in the Snow and Never Hike Alone, as well as the much-anticipated 13 fanboy, Mr. Vincent DeSanti. Thank you so much for joining us today, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, yes, sir. Uh, we usually like to start all of our interviews off with just a little bit of your background. Can you tell us what it is that got you into the genre and sparked that fire in you, inspired your filmmaking? Yeah, I mean, I, um, I mean, I've been, I've been working in the film industry since around 2008. I went to school for film production and editing, and that's where I figured that I wanted to make a living. Um, and after about seven, eight years of working in feature animation, actually, um, I got the itch to get into live action. I wanted to do something in the right live action realm. And I moved to Los Angeles for, with like one goal in mind. And that was to work on a Friday the 13th movie was to get to some place where I could to Paramount or Warner brothers or new line or wherever it was and just be a PA. Or maybe I got to work on like maybe I got to do some of the stuff I did in animation, like development or or something in there. I had sort of hopes to kind of get into it. And with the way that the, you know, the production companies delayed the films, the way that the lawsuit was kind of taking over, I realized that, you know, I'd seen a few fan films. Um, I saw the Power Rangers fan film. I saw Dirty Laundry. Um, I saw the, uh, Predator um, Hunting Grounds, was it? Or Dark Ages, Predator Dark Ages. Um so I saw that fans had gone out and done some really interesting things. And then I saw that these guys from Star Trek raised $1.2 million and got sued. And so there was kind of like this controversy over a fan film. But Friday the 13th. Vo- that was New Voyages, wasn't it? I think it was. No, it was uh, Axanar. Oh, <clears throat> oh yeah, that's Axanar. right. That's right. Yeah, and they turned that into a web series. So that kind of like was sort of the research I was doing at the time, being like, I want to make something short. I've seen like um, some of the, the fan films, I think that were on one of the box sets and they've been online for a long time. Like one was made in 1993. I think it was a sequel, to, I think it was to Jason Goes to Hell. And um, there were a lot of other things that kind of came out, but it was always sort of a backyard production. And it's the it's a nice way of putting it. And you know, it's that's what home video equipment was at that time. But in recent years, we have digital equipment. We have access to, to better uh, you know things. And since I had my... Uh, experience in film, I was like, let me put these two things together. I really want to tell a Friday the 13th story. Maybe I can make this five minutes short. It can be my homage to Friday the 13th. There was a Friday the 13th that was supposed to be coming out that year on October 13th, 2017. I was like, if we can make something that is comparable, that like is feels like an appetizer to the main course, we could right. celebrate it that way. And that'd be kind of fun if a few people noticed it. And then along the journey, it just became this bigger and, and crazier thing. And um, before we knew it, we had discovered a, a abandoned camp uh, that we turned into our set that we took over for two years and worked out with the locals that we would keep props and equipment up there and they would watch it for us. And we we're taking lots of risks, kind of like spreading it out over time. But we slowly put it together. And over that time, the, the film that was supposed to come out got canceled. And we had done some things behind the scenes that were really exciting for our film. And we went from a five minute to a 20 minute to a 30 minute to this 50 minute sort of mini feature that um, that we we had no clue would do what it kind of did. Um, eventually, we got to release it at the Telluride Horror Show, um, which was our debut on October 13th, 2017, taking the place of the uh, production Friday the 13th that was supposed to come out. And from there started um, sort of this wave. I mean, there were a few other fan films that were coming out at the time that we are, and they were sort of in line. But it, it really started to turn fans' attention to show them that Fans had the power to create something that was worth watching and that could almost equal or rival some of the films that had had come out before. And um, 
that's sort of where I took all my kind of experience as, as from going through Never Hike Alone and from my experience working in feature animation and putting all of this together. Um, I also, during this time, split off from animation. When I wasn't making Never Hike Alone material, I was working on set. I got to do two seasons of The Rookie. Uh, for ABC, which was a lot of fun. Um, I worked on the production team for that and really got to know the ins and outs of, you know, a solid uh, on-set production. Turned that around to how we sort of rebuilt Womp Stomp Films after the first Never Hike Alone to create Disappear and Never Hike in the Snow and go do some of our uh, co-productions like Jason Rising, uh, Spirit of Haddonfield. We worked on the Happy Halloween movie. We did another one called The Faces of Michael Myers. Um, Imagine is an original short. Pathosis is an original short. And all of a sudden we went from this place where in my life I was working in film. But I wasn't fulfilled because I was working on other people's movies. And I enjoyed it to a certain degree, but I never really got that like experience to like, man, I'd really like to pilot one of these ships, no matter how big or small. And now having to kind of leave that realm for a while and come and do it and have the opportunity to now say, hey, I, now I've, I've directed some things, I've produced some things, I've written some things, and all of these sort of... Uh, projects have taken on a life of themselves, and this is what I've wanted to do. And instead of waiting for the company I was working for to allow me to do it, I just went and did it myself. That's awesome. Um, you know, b- before we kind of get into your portrayal of Jason, which I'm sure you know by now, you know, fans have up there with you know, <clears throat> some of the, the with the Kane Hodder, uh, with with, you know, any of those C.J. Graham's portrayal. I mean, the, your portrayal of Ghost Jason in those Never Hike Alone films is is iconic to to a lot of the a lot of the fan base out there for sure. But you know, kind of before we get into that, I want to ask you about playing the shape. You know, you talked a little bit about uh, the spirit of Haddonfield a few years ago, mm-hmm. and even like uh, that you know lost 2018 scene, you know, fan film that you guys did. Uh, you know, how was that experience? Kind of suiting up as Myers. I love it. Playing Michael is a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> it's a different world. It's a different headspace from Jason, and it it really is so. And and just the the act of getting into costumes is much easier. It's over. It's the coveralls right. and it's the mask. And you can you know. And I put a little bit of dirt on the hands. I put some dirt on my face so make sure that like there's no clean skin underneath. Uh, you know, stuff around the neck so we make sure that he you know Michael doesn't look like he just took a shower. You know, Michael's been out there scrummaging around so it's it's nice to it's nice to kind of have a costume that's not that hard to put together jason is a lot of work so um but with michael it's really me i feel like it's it's i have control of it it's it's everything that i'm doing with my body and when i'm playing jason there's more of like i'm in a suit and the suit's fun to play with and and that they both have their nuances but with michael it's a little bit more about like how much can i remove from my performance how much less can i do how economically like how economically can I put my movements together because Michael's singular thought is how to kill and he's going to go for the you know singular thing to do that and so I really just try to get into that like kind of shark mind like place and then control my body movements and and I think with anything you know whether it's Jason or Michael there's a lot of study of the professionals um the people who do it for a living and talking to them and and asking them questions and you know I've had a chance to work with Kane um I got uh, invited to kind of hang out for one of the Friday the 13th the game um uh recording sessions and I also you know got to work with him on 13 fanboys so we have you know worked together before which has been really great I got to work with CJ Graham um I really wish uh, I haven't had a chance to meet him yet but I'd love to meet Ted White I'd love to meet some of the other actors that have portrayed it I'm very good friends with Doug Tate um who played uh Jason in Freddy versus Jason he's the one who played Jason as they he walks out of the lake with Freddy's head uh, he's also messing with Sasquatch and he was supposed to play Jason in one of our films but uh, scheduling didn't line up the snow we were chasing and snow and it was kind of like we got to go now um right so um so yeah i mean it, it really comes down to like understanding how the character has been portrayed and, and what i mean in both cases like how has the character been portrayed but also what does my body do and how can i get my body to do the things that are the closest to what fans recognize but also something within my wheelhouse that say that like i would play it this way and it's a risk and i think sometimes it's We've executed it to the to a degree where I'm like, yeah, like that's really how I've seen Jason and like in my nightmares, that's what Jason looks and that's how he looks and feels like. And I think that's really where I attribute how I try to do it. I try to think back to what I was telling this story to, to somebody the other day where I used to sit in, in my backyard and we had this little kind of like house out there where we had a little TV set up and it was all screened in. It was like a little screened in like sun sun porch type thing. 
and we would I would watch Friday the 13th out there and at night it would be it's New England so there'd be like lightning storms and rain and I used to imagine Jason just take like rounding the corner around the building and walking in front of that screen and it used to petrify me just the thought of it and it kind of had that feeling of like Jason in part five when he's showing up at the end of Tommy's bed at the end of the movie it's it had like it was that but it wasn't that Jason it was the Jason from part six and so there were all these different things that were kind of feeding into the way that Jason sort of affected me and, and when I try to do Friday the 13th content I try to tap into those things and bring them to life because I want to share with other Friday the 13th fans how Jason makes me feel and Michael too I mean it's the same thing with Michael in the same way just a personal observation about that, you know, Spirit of Haddonfield movie. <clears throat> I thought the way that that short plays with sound, uh, mm-hmm. I thought it was tremendous. I mean, I think that really, if anything stood out to me about that movie, it was that. I thought it was just, you know, the the, the way that the music kind of stopped when, you know, when uh, when Michael, when you, I guess you, <laughs> well, pulled your hand back from, you know, from the door and 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 the uh, the girls was sitting there that you were going after and the music just kind of stopped. I just, I don't know, I, I, the way that the whole short really, really, what did it do with sound, like I said, really stood out to me. Yeah, that's an attribute to uh, Rene Rivas, who was the guy who directed it and cut it. So he he put most of that together. I mean, he put the music together. Um, I mean, I really just came out there to just play the shape and, you know, throw some suggestions here and there. And a lot of that was like helping us come up with the blocking and, you know, where when should Michael show up? When shouldn't he show up? How can we make him show up? Like saying like, look, we can cast a shadow versus me walking against the window. And the shadow is almost creepier than, you know, me being there, but then I can be there. You know what I mean? So there were things like that. And I think my favorite part from that movie is like when we got to do the scare at the window, when she goes to shut it, um, I, I love the way that came out. I think the timing came out great. The camera works great. Her performance is great. Um, and I think it's one of those first things that it's like you don't know what's going to happen and you feel that tension and it, it gets released in that moment. I think it was really I think that's kind of my favorite part of the short. You spoke on it a little bit before, you know, um, I wanted to ask you and I know you've you've gotten these questions a million times about Never Hike Alone. I just, um, you know, you talked about how it came to be, um, you know, I. I you guys started almost a revolution, you know, of these fan films. I mean, and, and, you know, it kind of transcended the name of all this low budget, you know, kind of that you were mm-hmm. talking to earlier. Um, you know, I, I've said on more than one occasion that, you know, that you're both of them look honestly better and higher budget than some of the Paramount ones. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that and, and kind of uh, your thought process behind all of that? Yeah, I mean, it, it was weird. It was all really unintended. I mean, my my goal when I made Never Hike Alone wasn't so much to make a fan film that looked great. I was just trying to make the best film I possibly could because I want to be a filmmaker. Because I want to, I wanted this to be as good as a film that I would make it if it was an original production and I had and I was being backed by a studio it was just that I was asking fans and myself really but you know the stuff that we we kind of put in our on our own uh you know putting in the time and all that stuff to say that it was going to be worth the the investment you know worth the investment for fans and entertainment value but worth the investment for me because I could showcase you know my skill set to a large audience that I have a kinship with and um it was it it wasn't you know, the decision's not a popular decision always. Um, you know, doing a fan film sort of comes with some stigma. Um, prior to that, you know, there wasn't, there were a few that you could turn to, but for the most part, people really didn't want to give them a chance. And they, and most people who aren't like cinephile nerds like we are would never really sort of like, you know, look at them a second chance. It's like, if it's not official, I don't want to see it. And there's no way a fan could, could make it that good. And, Honestly, I didn't think going into it that we were going to make that big of a splash. I didn't think we were going to get to like millions of views and, and, you know, doing the festival circuit and stuff like that. I didn't even think I was going to be allowed on the festival circuit. But um, when Telluride kind of like welcomed us in and all that stuff, that's when it started to change. That's when I started to realize that like maybe I had done what I set out to do, that I, I, I made something good enough that could stand shoulder to shoulder at a festival with something that was an original property. But people knew that I wasn't like, it wasn't a, it wasn't like a cash grab or it wasn't like a, it, it, you know, there was no like ill intention behind it. I just wanted to, I, I, all I wanted to do was see a good Friday the 13th movie. You know what I mean? And the studios weren't doing it. So I did it myself and I didn't realize I was going to get so passionate and involved with it. 
but I just, the more I put time into it, the more I just said, I, I want to make this better. I want to make it as best as I can. Um, and I think other fans saw that and they saw that the goal was attainable. And I bet a lot of people saw that and went, I can do better than that, you know? And so go ahead, give it a shot. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, take your swing. And, you know, I've seen fan films that have been made with no money that are great that have great storylines, the, the way that they craft the Friday the 13th um, mythology in a certain way, um, even though the, you know, they don't have the big cameras or the big lights, but they make it work. And even their VFX work, you know, I've seen that. And I've seen stuff that has gigantic budget that, you know, barely makes any sense, but has enough entertainment value to, you know, to sell itself. And so like they're, they're what it's doing is basically recreating the experience that we had when we were fans as kids or, you know, some people late adults or teens and stuff like that, which was when you went to the VHS store, there were barely any two Friday the 13th that you could line up that would be the same film one after the other. Right. I mean, you could say the first four kind of sit into a similar tone, even the fifth one um, tone wise, and then six through eight, it changes, then nine, it changes again, and then X, it change, you know, and then it never becomes the same thing twice. And Jason just be, bounces all over the place as far as you know what it is and so as a fandom you know you see that reflected in even in the fan film world and i think one thing that sets never hike alone apart right now is that we're the only one really operating with our own jason like everyone else is a you know it's sackhead jason or it's part six jason or it's part seven jason i haven't seen any part eights i've seen a few part fours um in fact jason rising one of the co-productions we're working on is a part four friday the 13th final chapter inspired and even though part six is my favorite i'm definitely a fan of part four and i liked it like it's like the multiverse it's like hey you know what it's sort of like if none of them have to play by the rules let's just make these films like play to certain rules to like how fans always saw what their dream Friday the 13th project would be. And they're definitely projects that probably the studios would never even think about attempting because they wouldn't understand it like the way that right. fans were, but fans understand it. And um, I think what was really cool about kind of coming up with the concept of a new Jason, a new look, this, you know, what's been dubbed ghost Jason and stuff like that. Um, it was that was the challenge i think was was a really big thing that i was really scared about um and i was just really happy that fans kind of took to it and now we kind of have our own version of of jason which you know ended up in the puzzle game um you know fans you know maybe a small number of fans lobbied for it to get into uh, the actual uh, game before it got before it got the legal rights took that down um you know, there was a little bit of a dust up at one point <laughs> where they thought it was going to happen. Um, and we had to go in and be like, no, like it was never going to happen. We talked about <laughs> it like off the cuff, but they, you know, I got the dose of like what it would take for it to happen. And there, it, there was, it wasn't in place at the time. Um, but you know, it was just really cool kind of being at the center of all that and, and watching it kind of grow and, and then the community grow around it. Absolutely. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned uh, part six because Jason lives is, is my favorite as well, unless you include Freddy vs. Jason, but don't pick on me. That's nostalgic. Don't hate on me. But, you know, I, I sent you a DM on Instagram because, you know, we just had Tom Matthews on, and he kind of told us about the dinner you guys had and how he came to be in the project from his point of view. But how did that come about kind of from your side of things? I mean, it's Tommy freaking Jarvis. As a Friday the 13th fan, everybody loves Tommy Jarvis, whether it be kid or kid version or you know, Tom Matthews portrayal, everybody loves him. Yeah, 100%. I mean, um, you know, Tom, Tom is my Tommy. Uh, and I grew up idolizing him. Uh, the one who fought Jason on the lake, the one who ended up, you know, in that epic final scene, like that always kind of won it for me. And I was also a big fan of Return of the Living Dead. Um, and it was just kind of like, you know, that that's who he was. And at the time, in Never Hike Alone, I really didn't think that it was possible to even get an alumni involved. Um, up until that point, I don't think anyone had ever really given them a second thought. Um, but our uh, our EP, Barry, uh, who came onto the project kind of early on, um, was the one who set it up. And so Barry kind of approached me. He's like, did you ever think about getting Tom Matthews in the film? Because I'm going to go out into this dinner with him and I'm going to you know, pitch him on it. And I was like, really? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's a fan film. Is he really going to be about a fan film? Like I understand, like I was ready for him to say no, but it was like, it'd be cool if he saw it though. 
Um, and he, you know, I believe uh, Barry showed him some of the footage and he, and that's what kind of got him. He was like, whoa, wait a second. This doesn't look like a fan film. Like right. what's going on here? And so Barry called me and said that he got me a chance to talk to Tom and that basically it was going to come down to, you know, me sitting down with him and kind of talking to how do we use Tom in the film? And at the time I had kind of thought of like this ending, the original ending of Never Hike Alone probably would have been something along the lines of um, Kyle dying on the side of the lake. And in the next film, his brother showing up to Crystal Lake to look for him and running into Tommy Jarvis. And the idea was if we can make Never Hike Alone good enough, maybe I could show it to Tom Matthews and he'd want to get involved. And, um, and at that point, maybe that's how we can kind of continue this if, if I ever had that opportunity. Um, but with him on my doorstep, there was always this kind of like lingering pressure from some of my producers to let Kyle live. And so I had written this scene, which was an ambulance scene about him waking up and doing a classic Friday the 13th nightmare sequence where a character, you know, gets attacked by Jason in their dream and then wakes up in the loving care of, you know, emergency uh, workers. And so when I started to think about it, I was like, well, how does Tommy fit? Where could he fit? Um, I had to come up with an idea of like why he would be a paramedic or an EMT driver. And so I kind of worked on a backstory and got ready and prepped. And so we showed up um, at this little restaurant in, in LA and, you know, it was just us really in the restaurant. It was lunchtime. So it really, really wasn't that busy on the side of town. And we, I had my laptop with me and Tom sat down and, and I, I kind of like said, hey, this is what the film is. Um, you saw our first trailer, but you haven't seen what we've done since. And so I showed him the second trailer for Never Hike Alone with all the footage at the camp and all the new stuff that we had done and all the new photography that we had done. And he was like, how do I play a part? And so my inevitable kind of conclusion was, I only have room for you in this one scene. And I don't want to waste your time, but this is the way I see it. And you don't even have to play Tommy. If you just did like a cameo as this guy, like it would be fine. He goes, no, if you got Tommy, use Tommy. I said, okay, in that case, and you're going to allow me to do this. Like I always saw Tommy's like, he could become an EMT. Like if Tommy wanted to keep his finger on the pulse of Crystal Lake, that's a great job to have because, you know, firefighter. Yeah. He probably does that part time. I wouldn't I wouldn't put it against him that he's not a volunteer firefighter, but EMT truck driver. That's kind of something that's a little bit more up his alley, you know, allows him to keep his ear on, you know, ear on the on the on the calls. Um, they'd never let him join the police department, obviously. <laughs> so so it's kind of like a good gig for him. And after years of suffering so much torment, I mean, who better to be in the grips of, you know, an emergency situation than Tommy, because it probably doesn't phase him at all. So you know, giving him that backstory, he was like, I like it. And the only thing we had to figure out was how to keep him alive <laughs> because <laughs> in the original version of the other script, um, everybody died. Uh, everybody got ripped out of the car. Um, Jason climbs in the back of the ambulance and murders, uh, Kyle. And as we drone up, there's blood getting thrown out of the back of the ambulance nice. <laughs> as like he couldn't get away. But with Tommy there, I was like, no, Tommy would save him. And Tommy saving him opens up the door for more films and so if you want to do that that's the way to do it and the other side of it is is that we don't tell anybody that this is happening let us finish doing what we're doing let us prove to you that we can put you in this film and you'll feel proud of it and we'll shoot you in secret and then on friday the 13th you know of this year or whenever we release it we're gonna let we're just gonna let you drop like an atom bomb on the friday the 13th world and the fans need it right now after all the bullshit Right. With the lawsuit and, you know, the film getting shut down. I don't even think the lawsuit was out at that point. But the film getting shut down, um, you know, another disappointing year without a Friday the 13th. And, you know, what was going to happen? We were going to come and go on Friday the 13th and fans were going to go, oh, they missed another one. You know what I mean? And I was kind of like, not this year. Like this year, fans are going to do something about it. And a fan's going to do something that's going to make fans really, really happy and see Tom. Just even if it's for those five minutes that get to see him back on screen and starting to kind of work back into, um, you know, acting at the time because he had left acting for a long time. It really wasn't, right. um, you know, he, he kind of explained that to me that, that like acting really didn't like get him going anymore. It was like, he, it was so much BS. He just wanted to like get things done and create, and, you know, he opened his business and he's been doing very well ever since. And it's been his artistic outlet, which has been really cool. So getting to know Tom as an actor, but also who he is in real life and, and, stuff that he does it's it's really nice to uh 
to since kind of that day um, work with him and they get to know him over time. And now we've worked on two separate projects together and we stay in touch and it's always nice to see him. And, and he's just been super gracious and, and, you know, he was a hero of mine and now I'm, I'm very, uh, you know, happy to call him a friend. Yeah, that's, that's incredible to hear actually. That's, that's incredible. <clears throat> um, and, and, you know, I, I've heard you speak to this before, but I, I kind of wanted to ask you this because I really wanted our listeners to hear, hear this kind of story from me if you haven't, but, you know, you've spoken before, you know, on your thought process behind the almost quote unquote smart Jason, you know, of your mm -hmm. movies. And, and, and I don't mean like genius, genius smart, obviously I'm referring to your thought process behind, you know, being smart enough to basically remain a ghost. And, uh, you know, I thought that was just so well thought out and was wondering if that's something you could kind of take a second and explain here for our listenership. Yeah. I mean, I think that we're, what it really is, it's a Jason that's learned his lessons. Um, you know, in the first eight films, you watch this character sort of spring into action and then just doesn't stop. You know, the first three films that he appears in, he's it's the same weekend. It's one murderous spree. And then he's broken right. back up, you know, many years later and he goes on a spree and he's put back down on a spree and he puts back down. And it's like I kind of went back to this place where like at the end of part eight, like what's going through Jason's head? Like he's had his ass kicked so hard for like over 25 years. And now he's like this molten massive goop that <laughs> can barely move. That's got to trudge his ass all the way back to Crystal Lake. And at that point, I got a feeling he's just more like, I don't want the hassle. Um, and at the same time, you know, it's the, the, the lore of Crystal Lake would kind of like kind of, withering away him not coming out of hiding him sort of like reuniting with his mother and then like hunkering down and sort of returning to the jason that existed between parts one and part two and who whatever that was and in, in our version that is an un, he's still undead at that point um and his whole point is to protect that connection that he has with his mother and it's all emotionally driven and if you know, if something's going to put that at risk of either putting him back in the ground or putting him back in the lake or completely destroying him, that um, he's not going to take it. And so he doesn't go out into a place where, like, he's trying to attack outside. Um, he's just trying to defend his territory, which is sort of what Jason was always about in the early films, which is a, a, a Jason who defends his territory and sort of keeps people out and makes them pay if they come back and try to and try to work and try to do anything there. Um, and so I thought that that was something that, that could work, especially from the Never Hike Alone model of, especially at the first part of the film where, you know, we're in Kyle's perspective and he's the one who's moving freely through the camp and Jason's the one staying in the shadows because he wants to know if, if, you know, Kyle didn't break any rules, he just walked into the wrong room at the wrong time and he went too far. He went too deep into the labyrinth and he found the Minotaur. So it, you know, it was really kind of. The, the fault that, that Kyle does is he finds out Jason's secret, which is where has he been hiding? And that was kind of a cool concept to me because I had to justify that. Like, how does Jason go from part eight to this time and not get found? He can't be dumb and he can't have been risen and fallen a bunch of times in between because that's just sort of cartoonish. And if I wanted to ground it, I had to make it feel like he was forgotten, like he was a ghost and that he exists in the ether and he's not really there. And so that was really kind of the tone that shaped everything around it. And, you know, it was the tone of the camp that we shot in. It felt empty. It felt haunted. It, you know, where would you like, how would you hide in the cracks of these walls to like stay away from somebody if you lived up here? And so it was kind of figuring out those things. And it wasn't like digging tunnels under the camp it was figuring out where in the camp you could hide people and how we could build a set that led to people to believe that okay this is how jason has been hiding all of these years this is where he's been living he's been hunkered down and hibernating and in a sense kyle's the one who kind of comes in and wakes up the bear and so when we had to kind of sort of build a world around that with tommy jarvis who was searching for him for all these years and how could tommy never find him um it had to be a smart Jason. It had to be a Jason that knew that he didn't want to mess with Tommy and that when Tommy showed around, he knew how to make himself sparse and knew how to protect the thing that was most important to him. And one of the things that we explore in Never Hike in the Snow is this concept. Right. It's this concept that, first of all, this child had wandered into the camp, was not in any danger until he accidentally took a picture of Jason. You saw how close Jason was to him this whole time and he didn't know he was there. But it wasn't until Jason realized that he screwed up that he had to spring into action. And that creates a series of events that almost leads to his capture. 
And it shows how close Jason really gets there to being discovered. And that's sort of what that that's actually what that film is about. It's about how Jason has remained, you know, gone for all these years. But this is an instance in where it, it puts him at the most risk. So it starts, you know, Tommy starts sniffing around. Tommy brings the police. And if it wasn't for Rick and being so like thick headed thinking that Tommy's responsible for all this and that there's no way Jason could still be alive, that him arresting, you know, arresting Tommy under the assumption that he had something to do with his kid's death. And then he's trespassing on land that he's not supposed to. And then leaving this, you know, this kind of this character who doesn't know the backstory, who's new to town, who's a new police officer, who doesn't know the history of Crystal Lake because Rick keeps it a secret. And, he gets himself into a lot of trouble. And then you see what happens when Jason really has to defend himself. Like it gets even more brutal. And, you know, as we continue this story, we expand upon that. Because if you, you know, for those who came back and watched the ghost cut, because we did know that like we kind of left fans hanging and we couldn't just jump into a new episode right away like we had planned to. Um, you know, in the ghost cut, we kind of explained that when the police did arrive the next morning, they didn't find anything. There was no bodies. There was no sign of Jason just a bunch of footprints and a hole in the lake. And, you know, Friday the 13th, I fans, I think are smart enough to put those pieces together and to say that like Jason basically picked up everything he had and just marched into the lake that night and hid because it's the last place he could go. And it's in the middle of the winter. So who's going to go into the water? Right. And if they didn't, and if they didn't find him at the end of part six, I don't know. I don't know who's going to find him because, <laughs> you know, and again, it, Jason's smart enough to stay away. And so, when people die in Crystal Lake in this time period of the Never Hike Alone series, they don't really get murdered. They go missing. Nobody ever finds them. And that's the point. And and Mark almost getting away at the beginning of Never Hike in the Snow is sort of like the start of the crack in the armor. He is the almost Kyle. This almost happened three months ago until Kyle McLeod showed up and actually did it. He did the thing. He went in and he faced Jason and he came out. He's the first person in 30 years to do it. That's what makes it so monumental. And that's what makes him so important to Tommy. So as we continue to tell this story, Tommy needs this character to find how to outsmart this Jason that has adapted and, you know, has just used what is always been in his intelligence. Because if you rewind Jason all the way back to his childhood, He's a child with disabilities and deformities who is trying to stay out of sight of other children so he doesn't get his ass kicked. And so he knows how to kind of look and watch life from, you know, from the windows. He knows how to stay away from people, how to shy away, how to make himself scarce. And so it's sort of it's taking elements of Jason that are there and not creating them out of thin air, but using stuff that is, you know, in his backstory and putting it on the screen versus just treating him like, a maniac that kills people. You know what I mean? So that's sort of the difference of the way that I know that's a long roundabout way of answering that, but that's really the detail that goes into sort of this portrayal. Right. Absolutely. Um, and you kind of spoke on this just a touch, but, you know, recreating Camp Crystal Lake in your vision, you know, in, in your hike movies, you really brought back this kind of nostalgia and showed us this almost different but similar version of this camp that obviously changed so much throughout this franchise. I mean, can you talk about your kind of thought process behind that? Yeah, totally. Um, it was really just like a blessing to find that camp. It definitely wasn't the style of Camp Novi Bosco or really any of the other camps from the franchise. But I kind of dug it because it had sharp points and triangles and different shapes that were really um, to the camera were really aesthetic. I mean, some of the shots were like Kyle walks in front of like the, the open door of the triangular cabin with all the stuff inside. It was just, you know, cinematically it just gave us this chance to create really cool imagery. Um, and then it inspired me to sort of like, instead of try to bend its will towards what the move, original movie did would be like, if the original movie had shot here, how would they may have designed it around this camp? And if you had to go back and redesign Camp Crystal Lake as something brand new, like, yeah, it'd be nice to go back to Camp Novi Bosco. But some of the time, that's not always the best thing to do is to just kind of do that. Um we wanted to do something that was kind of fresh and do something, like I said before, like what are the things that I used to dream about? One of the things I used to dream about as a, as a Friday the 13th fan was walking around Camp Crystal Lake. So when you get to walk around an abandoned camp, I sort of recreated that feeling. And then from there sort of took 
elements from the from the first movie and said, okay, we don't have the exact room they built the bunk beds in, but we can cre- make this room that room. And we know whatever this multiverse is, that event happened here just in a sort of different way. And that's sort of what Never Hike Alone is in a way. We know we can't truly be, none of them can really truly be canon. Um, but we can manipulate the canon in a way to say like, we're just going to keep it consistent. And we're going to not throw out the past, but use the past in a way that fits into this world and make it fit into this world and make it in a way that sort of like, I don't know, lifts the material up in some sort of way. So that was always the goal. It's like, how can we take something from the past, but, you know, pay homage, if we can't pay exact homage to it, like I thought we did a really good job in the shower. Um, that shower really does look like the shower that Marcy dies in. Um, and we even put like the, you know, the light above it to really say that like, cause that was the whole, you know, everybody knows the backstory about how they wanted to hit the light to make it feel real. Um, so to kind of add those little tiny elements and stuff like that and, and bring back it to where this all started, which if you think about it in the, in the lineage, like only the first movie really takes place at the Camp Crystal Lake and Forest Green is sort of the outlier uh, in this equation, even though in part seven, it changes back to Crystal Lake. So there's like this weird sort of, um, how do you say it? Uh, timeline dis- discrepancy. I mean, obviously there's a ton of them all over the franchise. So we had to kind of figure that like, listen, this is the one thing we're going to say we can't follow exactly that. No one ever went back to the original camp Crystal Lake forest green is just the closest. And that one's maybe exists there. And we've been, I, you know, truthfully without kind of committing to anything, I've always thought of like, how can I sort of create a confusion between Camp Forest Green and Camp Crystal Lake in our movies? So maybe Tommy's been searching the wrong place this whole time and didn't know he had to go deeper into the woods, that there was another camp beyond the camp that he was the one that was searching, you know, things like that. Um, and so though those are things that have come across. But I mean, I think really like we always go for simplification in the end. Um, but it has come across my mind and, and that's how I wanted to take it. It was like sometimes you just could be like, just forget about Forest Green. It was just this other thing. Because this this avenue is how we want to approach it. And we think this makes it a better story to keep Crystal Lake sort of so scary they never went back. And it's and like to the point where no one even cleaned up the crime scenes because there was no one left to clean up the crime scenes. Oh, yes, sir. Uh, something else I wanted to ask you about. You're listed as an associate producer on 13 Fanboy. Mm-hmm. We've had uh, Miss Deborah Voorhees on as well as Miss Larpart Lincoln and C.J. Graham. And we've asked them all about their involvement in this, and, you know, depending on when we interviewed them, they were able to disclose, you know, what they could at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really something we're looking forward to. Uh, what's your involvement with that, and how did that come to be? Well, it, I, you know, I got to become involved with 13 Fanboy through Never Hike Alone. Deb had uh, seen it. We had become friendly about it. She had interviewed me for her channel about it, um, and we remained friendly. And when she told me she was, um, you know, attempting to put together this feature film, um, you know, her and her family and her friends down in New Mexico, really, and, you know, and, and another producer, uh, Joel, um, based out of Michigan, sort of kind of pulling all these pieces together to tell the story that she really had kind of bubbling up. And she was like, you know, you put together this fantastic production with Never Hike Alone. Can you come down and help me, you know, sort of assemble the pieces or like help me assemble the pieces? Um, and I went down there and, and like, truthfully, she had a lot of those pieces in place. It was just, you know, just keeping an eye on things and, and um, suggesting uh, certain production procedures and then working with different departments on the day, depending um, who needed the most kind of help that day. So sometimes I'd be working with Nora Hewitt. Um, Sometimes I'd be working with Deb and the camera team. Um, Sometimes I'd be working with stunts. And so it was really just where, wherever they were thin, I sort of helped fill in, fill in a gap for them. I got to do some of the stunt work. Um, I got to help with a lot of the VFX work, which is really cool, uh, design some of the camera work around it in a way to say, you know, there were certain times where, where Deb would be like, okay, I'm looking for inspiration for how to do this kill. And so we could go through different types of kills that were in Friday the 13th. There was to homage how those were put together technically, or we could come up with something new. And we did, I mean, we did kind of sort of both. And so it was a lot of fun to sort of just be there as a liaison. Um, I helped sort of cast some of the film. Obviously, um, Andrew Lady being at it uh, was definitely a great uh, part of it. Um, but Haley Greenbauer was a suggestion that we made. Um, so being able to produce on the film uh, really allowed me to get my hands almost in every single department and be there from um, a supportive role for Deb and, and just kind of watch her achieve her dream. And, and it was really, really cool to kind of 
work with her on the teaser and then see that evolve into filming. And we did two rounds of filming um, and, you know, one right before Never Hike in the Snow and then one in the previous August of, of 2018 or 19 um, in New Mexico. And so it was just it was fun. It was like being at summer camp. I mean, we were out there for a couple of weeks at a time. Uh, living in, you know, a giant Airbnb with all the other people on this crew and, you know, met a lot of friends that um, uh, that I'm still friends with to this day. Um, Nora Hewitt ended up kind of coming over and working with us on Disappear music video and Never Hike in the Snow. And she's going to work on future stuff with us, um, you know, her and her uh, partner uh, and wife, uh, Rachel. Um, so it's been really like it, that really helped kind of connect me with the rest of the community and um, I'm just really excited now that it's going to come out this this uh, I think late this summer in, in August and they're going to do a premiere in Blairstown I heard um, and it's going to be in theaters so I'm just getting all the details about it right now but I'm really excited for it because I think fans are in for a treat oh yeah Miss Miss Deborah she was very sweet when she was on and she uh, I saw where she posted in that 13 fanboy Facebook account that like you mentioned it's supposed to come out in August and to connect her with owners or small chains of theaters so i'm really excited to check it out as well and another thing i've really wanted to ask and, and i don't know how much you can really talk about it but new nightmare is my personal favorite nightmare film uh you're in pre-production on a follow-up to that with miko hughes uh dylan's new nightmare what can you tell us about that well that, that's actually good timing uh, i just had a meeting with the the film's creator cecil uh laird yesterday of the horror show uh, and also dave mccray who's going to be playing uh, freddy krueger uh, we're actually getting ready to do another kickstarter uh actually indiegogo i'm sorry i always say both of them um but we're doing an indiegogo uh our last indiegogo was pretty successful but we didn't reach our goal so we're hoping that since uh our last um since our last attempt at it, that maybe we can make up the difference in funds or even get into some of our reach goals for things like visual effects and special effects and, you know, other fun things that we can do um, in post-production that will just make it a you know bigger and better film. Um, but as far as that goes, I can tell you a lot about it. Um, I mean, I was brought onto it by Cecil. Like I said, he's the film's creator and director. Um, he showed me the script um, and asked me to like with many other projects, assist with the project and, and get it off the ground, uh, help you know ask him to help in approaching Nico and saying that you know the film's in good hands we're going to follow the right rules we're going to do it the right way um and we're going to take our time and, and you know not rush it and make sure that by the time we hit set that everyone's happy um and so after that we you know we went and talked to Miko and, and he decided to come on board and we had a really good time uh sort of you know coming together with the project we work on the, the teaser trailer and you know, since we were supposed to shoot in May of last year, but uh, obviously we had uh, a pandemic that stopped us from shooting. And so it put everything on hold. Uh, but with silver linings uh, in times like these, uh, it gives you more time to work on the project. So, um, I mean, Cecil and I have already been kind of tweaking the script and, and working on it. And we continue to do so and kind of just, you know, make it better. If we come up with an idea, if we think of a better way to do things, um, we kind of do that. We've been tracking through that um cecil's been kind of coming up with some new stuff for fans if they wanted to back the film uh and he's preparing an indiegogo right now that's supposed to launch on june 1st so definitely check that out um you know and it's really great we're in the, we're sort of in the middle of casting a lot of our other characters too uh some of our side characters in the films um some we're pretty close to um we have like verbal commitments and things like that but we wouldn't want to announce anything without kind of notifying them but what i can say is that um we, you know, we just have, it, it's a really good cast of characters. Um, it's a really cool story. I'm really kind of excited to work with Nico and sort, and, you know, bring this story to the, to now. Um, it makes, it made sense to me. I'm not even the biggest, I mean, I am a big Nightmare on Elm Street fan, but I mean, I'm not the biggest Nightmare on Elm Street fan. Friday's where I call home and Nightmare is always like, yeah, I love it over at Nightmareville, but Friday's home. And yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And so but but for Cecil, it was and I recognized that passion. And so I said, OK, I can help you wrangle your passion into a really good story. And you have a really good story. You have the story of, you know, Dylan, who who what better character to follow after all those years growing up and then going from a child. And after him and his mother conquer this you know, demon that calls itself Freddy in this world, that that it somehow hung on to that last kernel of fear. And then as he became an adult and things started to get harder in life and he started to lose that connection with, you know, the, the feeling that he had that he defeated and maybe those kind of fears well up inside of him that Freddie can use that to return once again and try again. And I was like, that's good. 
You know, when he, when he pitched that to me, I went, that makes sense. It's simple. It's something that when you pitch it, to, like I can imagine pitching that to a Nightmare on Elm Street or a new Nightmare fan and them going, that makes sense. I can relate, you know, like, yeah, when you grow up an adult and shit starts hitting the fan and, you know, life gets hard. It's like, yeah, there's a Freddy inside of all of us probably. So, you know, to kind of expand that and then how does it work into the world? But I mean, with Cecil's approach, he's trying to do it episodically because it is a big story and he's only raising so much money to do only so much of the production. Um, and you know what other opportunities may open up for us to work with other alumni if it ends up kind of coming in and stuff like that to expand the story. But for now, we want to focus on Nico and and really telling his story about how he becomes the you know harbinger for Freddie to make his return and how he feels the most responsible for sort of leading the charge against him. Um, but who knows who's going to become in danger around him and, you know, anyone that really is in his life is, is sort of at risk. And so that's sort of what it, what it's about is about him sort of battling this demon that's now going to come and ruin everything, you know, that's, that's good for him. Oh, yes, sir. You might want to get a drink of water because it's my, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Cause you, you might have a lot to say about this one. Okay. Uh, we had, we had Adam Marcus on who really went on a tear about Sean Cunningham <laughs> when he was on. You know, as just a fan of the franchise, what is your take on the lawsuit? Adam seems to think that no matter what, Sean will ever just let it die. And he said he'll never give up on his side of the lawsuit. What's your take on it, my man? My take on it is that if anybody knows uh, Sean well, it would be Adam. Um, I mean, I've talked, Adam and I are good friends and we've talked about it and I've, I've heard him say that too. And it's really unfortunate to me. I mean, I'm just hoping that somehow the courts can do what they need to do or the mediation needs to come through. Um, you know, I think no matter what ends up happening, like it's going to come down to, you know, two adults getting into, getting into a room and, um, and making something happen. And until that happens, it's just, it's really just, it comes down to like pettiness. Um, and that's, that's too bad. And I get it. You know, I, I get the, the feeling of sort of both sides. Um, I look at this and, you really can say, like, could one have done it without the other, um, you know, but at the end of the day, I, I, I don't know. It, it just it's really hard to look at it at the story and and to see how it all kind of came together and realize that, like, this is the thing that's holding everything up. It just seems so silly. And for them to focus on the past rather than say, like, the faster you get this over with, the fastest you both can make money because they're probably doing nothing but paying lawyers right now. So I can't imagine that. This has really been fruitful for either side. You know, like what has it really gotten anybody other than just a bunch of, you know, headaches? And, yeah. you know, it's unfortunate, you know, for, for Victor to be left out. You know, I do think that that is sort of a thing that lawsuit or not, that might have been something Sean, after many, many years, looking back and seeing that saying, hey, man, like, I kind of owe you one. Like, thanks for everything. I want to make something good for your family. Here's a piece of the pie. Like, let's get you involved. Let's get you, let's get, let's get you something. You know what I mean? Let's bring you in as a producer or, or some, that way we can tie you into something new and you can start to see some royalties um, and get more projects made because that, that's what fans want. And unfortunately um, that hasn't happened, but in the, in the lieu of that, Hey, guess what? Without this, there's probably no never hike alone. There's probably no other fan films that are coming out. There's probably no boom like there is right now. And the fans probably aren't as involved in the actual storytelling of Friday the 13th than, than ever before. And maybe, you know, we're just getting more films that just don't, that make even less and less sense. Um, but we'd like to see them try again. And hopefully within our lifetimes, uh, we get to see them either resolve it or it could be resolved some other way. Um, and a studio or a team or a development team can get in there and start making some new Friday the 13th movies. Yes, sir. And I want to ask you another question on something similar related to that. And I want to word this properly. Uh, I saw where you were on dead meat. You know, mm -hmm. I'm talking about dead meat from uh, YouTube. He's huge. Yeah. Uh, I saw where he, I asked you just a quick question at monster Palooza in 2018, I believe is when it was, mm -hmm. He's like, you know, he asks you what uh, what the plans are. Do you have any more fan films coming or what, et cetera? And, you you know, you touched on the uh, the rights issues. And I remember you saying that if you had, like, what if you had the backing of, like, a new line or if Blumhouse bought it, because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of quoting what you said, uh, 
and you had that kind of money and budget, what what kind of Friday the Thirteenth movie would you make? And I know you don't want to spoil everything, but would it be a bigger budget version of Never Hike Alone, or would you go the Halloween twenty eighteen route and sequel one of the movies, or the, just what would be your vision if you had you know just a ginormous budget and you weren't you know you know you know what I'm saying like what yeah, what, what would what would your vision be if you had the budget and the money and sequel never hike alone bigger version of that um i mean there's definitely like i mean if i was going to go into it there's a few avenues i would take um you know it kind of came down to like what the studio sort of is looking for like if they were like we love what you did with never hike alone we want the big budget version for it i would do that and the only thing i would change is that i would add a dog yeah (laughs) you know i think a boy and his dog or, or a girl and his dog in the in the woods um like kind of going off and, and kind of having this experience with a bigger budget and kind of being able to sort of fix some of the things I did before um, and have a chance to kind of expand the story the way I kind of thought it could go um, in, in a lot of ways. If we had sort of a bigger budget, there were certain things that I had to drop from from the film that uh, would have been really cool, like Jason fighting wolves, um, you know, stuff like that, uh, or coyotes in, in a sense, like actually being able to see it and like actually have that be a big moment in the film where it creates an opening for our character to sort of, um, kind of get away. But if I was going to be given no, like if I was going to be given the reins and, and they were saying like, no, you just come up with something that you want to do. Um, not that I wouldn't want to do that. Never hike alone film. That would be great. But something original where I always wanted to do was do a brand new Friday the 13th that took all the elements from the original series and sort of placed them in a way that set them up for success rather than constant failure of never being able to connect. And sort of rewriting Friday the 13th in a sense of like, okay, if I was a Friday the 13th fan that went back to the first Friday the 13th movie after watching all the other Friday the 13th movies, and expecting the first Friday the 13th movie to be, it would be that movie. It would be the movie that does involve Jason, that is about Jason. But it creates an origin for him that sort of allows him to be, um, that sort of allows him to be a specific type of Jason um, that really can, it kind of solidifies a lot of like logic errors, but it also would bring more story and connectivity to the camp and the Christie family. So one thing I, I like that I could spoil is that in my version, um, it would be that Steve Christie was ultimately, as a child working at Camp Crystal Lake in that time, was ultimately involved with somehow Jason disappearing. And that with his disappearance sort of kind of sparking a series of events um, that lead to a lot of tragic events, that when Steve Christie comes back to reopen the camp, um, that it's over this you know, feeling of guilt. And that he feels like he has this necessarily desire to reopen this place up and open up these old wounds and try to like reclaim in a way this like land and this place that his family worked on for so many years. And all of a sudden it was gone and he was, you know, at the threat of losing it, Um, but realizing that he never should have come back, that the ghosts are still there. And um, and this this kind of group that he brings with him to help him clean up the camp all kind of suffer these accidents and different things and then you realize that like these you know someone that he thought was long dead has actually been living in the camp all these years and is now making him pay for you know what they had to suffer and so with that it really kind of lends itself to not just a reboot of the series in the in the film sort of sense but that it is part one of a three-part trilogy that you would do an arc following Jason Voorhees uh, through three films that is really a definitive start and end. I mean, to a certain degree, because the last one does have, you know, a secret door to make it an open ending if they want. But I feel like you would go in and be like, no, we're going to tell a definitive tale that has a beginning, a middle and an end. And then that's that version. And now go get another filmmaker and do something else. You know what I mean? Because in this world, what fans want are, continuity and characters to carry through because that's when we care the most and if those things happen and i think in this version it's it's mostly about jason's carrying through because it does kind of leave each film with its own new group sort of to to deal with him at different periods of time um but it's something that's really cool and kind of 
it kind of takes it kind of takes the old series and says, okay, if you had been planning this from the start, this is how you would have done it. Um, and my other idea is that if they didn't want me to do the film, what I would love to do is go to a Netflix type deal or an HBO Max deal and say, let's do eight hour long Friday the 13th movies, like a series, like an episode, like it's like a season of American Horror Story in a way. Like each season could be its own Friday the 13th story or each episode could be its own Friday the 13th story. And I would love to, I would have had loved to expand the Never Hike Alone universe in something in a streaming series type deal. I, feel, I felt that that would have been the best place for something like that with Tommy and like other alumni coming back, sort of like Cobra Kai in a way. Um, I really thought that we had, we have the pieces of a Cobra Kai to go and do a similar type of um, production if we had that type of, of backing. Um, and we'd be able to tell a really cool story and, and sort of have a beginning, middle, and end with that and then open up the the floodgates for other stories that could take at different points of the year in this time or different points of time in this timeline that could sort of fill in gaps of Friday the 13th, the things we've always wanted to know or see, but let it unravel in a way that actually expands the the franchise and actually fills in cracks and makes you feel like, Oh wow, that, that that's like, that makes sense. Or, or, you know, the, the, giving people like that type of feeling about it, um, sort of how I want to take that approach. Um, and you know, at, you know, every year when that comes out, fans have something maybe in eight episodes to be like, Hey, I only really loved one of them, like part six, but the other ones were cool too, but I'm glad part six is this, cause that's my favorite. And the other ones I'll also watch, but there's going to be one for every single version. And that's the true blue Friday the 13th fan is the fact that like, we're a mixed bag. Like we all love Friday the 13th, but Friday the 13th can mean many things to many different people. So you have to sort of either create something for those groups, like specifically, or you have to create something so new and original that it allows them to feel like they're rediscovering it all over again, but are being rewarded for the things that are sort of under the surface and that the film is quote unquote getting right. It's like, oh, you've twisted this piece of information, but that makes sense. And I'm, I'm going with that rather than like, wait, why are there tunnels under the camp? <laughs> yeah. Why was a camp built on a mining shaft? Like, yeah, what's I, I, hate on? You, I didn't like that in the reboot. <laughs> yeah. And so it wasn't that it wasn't it, it wasn't a solution. It was certainly a solution. But as a Friday the 13th fan, it pulled me out of the movie because I went, ah, that doesn't feel like Jason. Yeah. And it's sort of or like keeping I, the girl hostage. That that bothered me, too. Yeah. I mean, there are certain things that were risk. And so when you take risks, you definitely um, you got to deal with the backlash. But I think if my instinct on Never Hike Alone got their type of reaction that it did a little bit more of a budget and my ability to sort of like enhance a lot of those stories like that uh, could have a similar effect, I think, and, and help, you know, Friday the 13th sort of bridge a gap in its, in its uh, entertainment value. Yes, sir. And uh, I just want to tell you, man, I think you're, you're brilliant just listening to you. Uh, it's been really fun to talk to a fellow diehard Friday the 13th fan. Uh I'm still growing as a Friday the 13th fan, if that makes any sense at all, because I saw all the I saw the franchise when, you know, I saw all these movies for the first time when I was young, you know, but like before 12. So, I mean, I really didn't care about, you know, like you mentioned, fans want continuity. I really didn't care because mm -hmm. I was young. I just wanted to see Jason be a badass. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Parts Jason Lives was the first one I ever saw when I was six, seven years old. I was terrified and it stuck with me until today. But, you know, but if you look at my other favorite franchise, the Saw franchise, I love that that franchise because of one through six continuity uh, mm -hmm. and the ones that come after part six. I, I hold to such a high standard. Like I went and saw Spiral this past weekend. I liked it. But do I love it. No, it's just it's just I've, I've, I expect so much out of that franchise now that mm -hmm. if you miss it for me, it just doesn't hit the same. But I really like uh, your thoughts for the Friday the 13th franchise, but I'm still growing as a fan because, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, Brian recently sent us, uh, he sent me the timeline that two, three and four are apparently all in the same week or something. I was like, there ain't yeah. no way because, you know, I never thought that because when you go from Jason in part two to part four, he went from kind of a wimp to a to a badass, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like he changed a lot in a week. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's played by three different people. And yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing. It's like it's like an endless 
part three, three, and that's all. And it was funny because sometimes the films treated it as if a year had passed. Like part four kind of falls victim to that. They kind of treat it like it's been a year late. Like it almost feels like a year later, um, which is kind of funny. And they sort of try to explain it in part three with him getting the new costume and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, if you really think about it, it, it really is like that, that four years or five years of dormancy and then bam, 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 right in a row. And 36 people are dead. <laughs> you know what I mean? In one weekend. That's pretty impressive. You know, that's why. See, that's why in 2018, when he was like, when the kid goes, you know, he only killed like three people that weekend. That's why I'm like, yeah, he killed three. Jason killed 36. Like, you want to talk about something like that's when I'll believe that Jamie Lee Curtis is like, hiding under her bed with a shotgun. I was like, don't don't get me. Don't do that to me. <laughs> you know, so just just to put that in people's uh, pipe to smoke when they think about the Michael versus uh, Jason thing. Um but um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was it's it's kind of funny though. But that's those films. You know, the whole thing with Jason was that he keeps getting back up, no matter what you do to him, he keeps getting back up. So when people used to pitch that like Jason was a human, I was like, yeah, maybe one time. But this thing, like whatever he is now, it's not a human being. It's not like. But the way that they present them when you first watch the films, you feel like he is. Mm-hmm. But when you go back and like start to watch them over and over again, you'd be like, wait a second, like you've sort of stretched my my um like it's all the imagination gets stretched thin like to the point where you're like all right at some point he's got to be dead and then you start to learn things that like from joe zito like when you get really deeper into it and i, I got to speak with him and he, part director of part four and i said what's up with jason in part four like how does he keep coming back and he goes oh jason's dead like he's just in reanimated corpse he just keeps coming back from the dead because he has to keep killing for his mother and i went oh really i was like so he's dead in your movie he goes yeah he's dead the entire time he just reanimates in the in the morgue. I was just like, all right, okay, cool. So like my <laughs> theories for Jason were sort of they were there, but they didn't put them on the surface in the old films. And so that's when I started to realize that like, okay, my instincts are right, kind of going after this undead Jason thing for Never Hike, um, for the Never Hike Alone stuff. But my remake stuff would actually kind of lean towards more of a human style Jason and put him in a circumstance where it would make sense that he didn't die, um, but that Pamela was driven to the point where she was mad enough to kill people and she didn't really wait for wait 20 years to do it. She just did it on the spot and sort of in that moment before, you know, without letting enough time go by, you know, she gets killed and leaves Jason behind. And and that's sort of how that to me, that story makes sense for him to be that sort of Jason. And I feel like that is a Jason that I used to think existed for a long time. And then I sort of peeled back too many layers of the story and realized there's no way it doesn't make any sense from any standpoint. Um, so you have like in honor of the material and it and actually like kind of making sense, like especially with the first film where they say that he did actually drown. I sort of just kind of went off of that. And like I'd rather gloss over the fact that he grew than like the fact that he just lived in the film, like in the woods for 20 years and like ate fish and stole stuff and like never tried to contact his mom ever. Like just what, you know, to me that just never made sense. Oh yes, sir. Uh, Vinny's, uh, what, is there anything else coming up that you'd like to plug or tell our audience about? Yeah. I mean, I'd love to tell everybody about Jason rising. That should be coming out uh, sometime this summer. Um, we just finished filming on that and that I had a complete blast. James sweet Carl Winery, um, and their entire casting crew are fantastic working out of Portland, Oregon. So, um, or Oregon, I shouldn't say Oregon, uh, but they have a kick, uh, an Indiegogo going right now. You can, should definitely check that out. Just research Jason rising. It should be there. Uh, it's in demand. Um, they're going to have a bunch of new stuff there. Uh, Dylan's new nightmare will be out on June's first for a new Indiegogo campaign. I'm currently working on a co-production with a good friend of mine, Renee Rivas, who did spirit of Haddonfield. It's an original production called Judy. Uh, we're going to be filming this weekend and then next month and then pro- hopefully getting it on the festival circuit this fall. Um, I have an animated project that I'm working on called Ghost Chicken uh, about a uh, vegan restaurant that's haunted by the ghost of the chicken and uh, the one girl who is determined to figure out why. Uh, So that's going to be a lot of fun. We've been putting that together uh, throughout the pandemic. It's an animated uh, short 
uh, film that we want to get into festivals next year. Um, and then, of course, Never Hike Alone stuff is right around the corner. Uh, Never Hike in the Snow, um, our Blu-rays are going to set the land this week. I'm going to go away for production. I'm going to come back. I'm going to start shipping those. So everybody who ordered them, thank you for your patience. Um, they are coming out very soon. I will start shipping them as fast as I can. Once we're done with that, we'll talk about uh, Never Hike Alone 2 and the next steps in the, in the web series and how we're going to finish telling our story of Jason Voorhees. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I'm a busy man and I'm just trying to finish as many projects as possible. Oh yes. Yeah, so you sound very busy. I just wanted to tell you again, man, I, I really enjoyed talking to you. I, I do think you're very brilliant. Uh, I appreciate you as just a fan of the franchise representing us, uh, doing a great job. I, I enjoy both of your fan films. I had, I gotta be honest. I have not seen the, the ghost version of never hike alone. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch it though. Yeah. Uh, give it a watch. There's some, there's some new stuff in there. It's pretty cool. Oh, yes, sir. Uh, thank you for, you know, talking to us for over an hour, even through some technical difficulties. I, My it's been a pleasure, probably. man. No, 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 no. Uh, and we'd love to have you back on if you ever have the time. Yeah, we'd love to. Talk about any new projects. Yeah, definitely. When we start getting the next stages of Never Hike Alone going, we should definitely check back in. That way we can kind of go full in depth about what the plans are for the future and how we plan on getting this done. Yes, sir. Thank you for joining us. Have a good one, my man. And I uh, just want to remind everybody to uh, don't go out there.